At Wildwood Community Church, we are for following Jesus together to the glory of God. We're for the church, for the community, for the nations, and for the next generation. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. And as we get ready to do part number two in this series, I want to mention a notable event that occurred on May the 28th in Davenport, Iowa. Maybe you heard about it. But on May the 28th, there was a six-story apartment building, interestingly enough called the Davenport, that partially collapsed. And what happened is the center portion of the building imploded, and several people were rescued from that, and there were a couple of people who were unaccounted for in that. And the rescuers faced a dilemma, and the dilemma was that they couldn't really go in and try to get people out who might be buried in the rubble because it was a risk of further collapse. And the rescuers said, we were in a no-win situation. We didn't really know what to do. Now, here's what I want you to do for a moment. Put on your imagination cap and imagine that you are buried under the rubble. You are still alive. You are unable to extricate yourself from the rubble. What do you need? What do you need? You need a rescuer, right? That is what you need. And that's very much like this study we're going through in this series, Understanding the Gospel. We, last time, talked about in detail our need for the cross. We talked about how we are unable to extricate ourselves from the spiritual dilemma that we face that we are helpless and that we are hopeless without having a rescuer. Today, we're going to look at the fact that God sent to us a rescuer. In fact, in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 9, it says this, God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. As I said, we're doing this four-part series, a series I have been praying about and planning and getting excited about for a number of months. And we're going to spend time unpacking the gospel. And as I shared last time in part number one, I have two primary motivations for doing this. Motivation number one is this, to clarify the most important truth in the universe, we want to spend some time clarifying the most important truth in the universe. At Wildwood and beyond Wildwood, we want every man, every woman, every student, every child to clearly grasp what Jesus Christ has done. We want everyone to understand that. Everyone needs to hear and understand and respond to the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, I said we had two primary motivations. Number one is to clarify the most important truth in the universe. Number two is to challenge those who have embraced the gospel. That would be like many of us here. And sometimes we forget that every time we hear the gospel delineated, it's a fresh opportunity to worship God. It's a fresh opportunity to be reminded of the implications of the gospel in our lives life. So what I'm saying to all of us is don't miss the opportunity as we spend four Sundays around this subject matter. 
We pointed out last time that regular gratitude for the deep grace of the gospel is what catalyzes a daily attitude of worship. We want to have a daily attitude of worship. Well, regular gratitude for the gospel is what will catalyze that. It's what energizes our drive to serve God. When we have regular gratitude for the deep grace of the gospel, it's what stimulates our desire to share the gospel with others. And so it's worthy of our time to develop a fresh, deep gratitude for the grace of the gospel. And at the core of the gospel is the cross of Christ. And last time we looked at our need for the cross. And if you were not here, I would encourage you strongly to go back, go to our webpage, listen to the message, go to our YouTube page. You can watch the message there. But catch that because we laid a very strong foundation for our need for the cross. We pointed out that while we were created to have a relationship with God, we have a problem. And the problem is that we have all sinned. We have all sinned. And we pointed out last time there are two significant complications to the fact that we have all sinned. Complication number one is that sin has a severe penalty. A slow death in this life and an eternal death in the next life and separation from God for eternity. That is a severe penalty. And the second significant complication to the fact that we have sinned is we cannot compensate for our sin problem. Romans chapter 3 verse 20. No one can ever be made right in God's sight by doing what his law demands. So last week we developed all of that. We started off with bad news. But the word gospel literally means good news. We see that God provides the solution. God provides the rescuer that we need. And so that's what we're going to look at today, God's work at the cross. And I don't know about you, but I am really excited about this. God provides the solution. It is exciting. So very exciting. Key passage is 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the first few verses. Paul's writing to these believers. He says, now I would remind you, brothers, of what? The gospel, which I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand. For I delivered to you as of first importance. It's very important that we focus on this. What I also received, that Christ died for our sins. We want to slow down right there. For our sins, in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, in accordance with the scriptures. Now again, the word gospel means good news. This is good news for us. And I want to focus on those three little words, for our sins particularly the word for and the word our. In English, there are three letters to each word, the word for and our. In the original Greek language, there are four letters each. Four letters each. What, what do they really mean? Well, Christ died for our sins. The word for in the original language 
can mean the idea of on behalf of or for the sake of, but it also could be translated in place of, the idea of being substitution. It's an excellent word choice because both of those things are actually true of what Jesus Christ did on the cross and his death for you and for me. He did it on behalf of us, for the sake of us. He did it in the place of us. And then the second little word, three-little word in English, the word our sins. He died for our sins, the idea of for us. What does for us mean in the original language? Well, it means us. It means you and me. He did this for you and me. And then, notice, he died for our sins, our means us, in accordance with the scriptures. That means this is what the scriptures teach. Isaiah 53, 6 would be one place. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us, we looked at this some last time, has turned to his own way. Here we go. But the Lord has caused the sins of us all to fall on him. Here's the picture. I have my sins. They are on me. God took the sins that were on me and put them on Jesus. They fell onto Jesus. That's the, and your sins were on you. And God took your sins and put them on Jesus. It was our sins, your sins, my sins, past, present, and future were put onto Jesus. The reason why we know it's all sins, past, present, and future is because when all this event happened 2,000 years ago, I didn't even, hadn't even taken a breath yet. Every sin that I would ever commit in my life was put onto Jesus. The same thing is true of you also and for all of us. And all of this was in accordance with the scriptures. Galatians 3.13. He became a curse. There's our same word again, for us. On behalf of us, for the sake of us, in the place of us. This is what the Bible teaches and it's over and over again. We can look at a number of them. 1 Timothy 2.6, he gave himself a ransom, here's our word again, for all, on behalf of all, for the sake of all, in place of all. We could look at many of these. I'm going to look at one more. He died, what does it say? For all. Again, on the behalf of, for the sake of, in the place of all people. See, men and women, this is why the Son of God came to take on human flesh. This is why he did this. This is why he became the God-man. This is the whole reason. Many of you don't know a former classmate of mine in seminary. His name is Ron Rhodes. And Ron Rhodes is a very prolific writer. Anything that Ron publishes, I buy. And he, he made a very helpful comment in this regard. Here's part of what he said. He said, if Christ the Redeemer had been only God, he could not have died, since God by his very nature cannot die. 
It was only as a man that Christ could represent humanity and die as a man. And then he goes on to say, as God, however, Christ's death had infinite value sufficient to supply redemption for the sins of all mankind. Clearly then, Christ had to be both God and man to secure man's salvation. Make sense? It's why he had to be the God-man. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18 says this, Christ died for our sins once for all time. He never sinned, but he died, there's our word again, for sinners on behalf of them, for the sake of them, in the place of them, that he might bring us safely home to God. You see, a dead person can't rescue anyone. Dead person can't rescue anyone. And that's why it says God raised him from the dead. In Acts chapter 2, verse 24, God raised him from the dead. What does this mean? It means, I don't know about you, but this is unbelievable to me. It means that we did the sinning and Jesus did the dying. Is that not exciting? Is that not good news that we need to hear? Do you see how God's work at the cross is so parallel to someone being trapped under rubble and they need a rescuer? And we need a rescuer. And Jesus is our rescuer. If you've been around Wildwood for a while, you know that I, I did a series of messages called Our Great Salvation. And by the way, you can go to my webpage at brucehess.com. You can check out the whole five-part series on Our Great Salvation. It includes five different pictures of salvation that are taught in the Bible, plus the security of our salvation in that six-part series that we did. And you can go to brucehess.com and find a lot of other messages I have done and I would encourage you to go there. You can stream them there. You can download the MP3. You can speed it up a little bit if you want to. You can get a transcript if you like to read. All of those things are available there. But I would encourage you to go through this series. It's, it's a little bit, I, I talked about like a, salvation is like a prism and you put the light of salvation into it and it breaks into these various parts. Well, we did that in that series. What I want to do today is just highlight three of the five different pictures. We're going to do it much more briefly. Three of the five pictures of salvation I want to highlight. The first picture of salvation is the picture of redemption, where we see God as the divine emancipator. It's a picture of freeing a slave. And yes, we as human beings, Jesus says, we're slaves. John 8, 34. Jesus said, everyone who commits sin is what? What does it say? Is a slave of sin. And here's the deal. Slaves can't free themselves. Slaves can't free slaves. Slaves need a redeemer. And this is part of the picture of our salvation. 
In fact, it says in 1 Peter 1.19, you were redeemed. How? With precious blood, the blood of Christ. See, the God-man's death had infinite value. It was a sufficient ransom for all of humanity to be redeemed. So that's the first picture of the scope of our salvation. Second one, I just want to give you this briefly. Second one is that of reconciliation, where we see God is the divine restorer. He is the divine restorer of relationship. Colossians chapter 1, verses 19 to 20. It was the Father's good pleasure through him, that is Jesus, to reconcile, here we go, all things to himself. How did he do it? Having made peace through the blood of his cross. This is the picture of reconciliation, God being the divine restorer. The idea is that sin caused a separation between us and God. It caused this estrangement. And Jesus comes along and he removes the hostility. He restores the harmony. Romans chapter 5, verse 10. While we were enemies, this will be familiar to many of us. While we were enemies, we were reconciled to God. How did it happen? Through the death of his son. See this repeated over and over again, this theme. Chapter 5, verse 18 of 2 Corinthians. God reconciled us to himself through Christ. See, we have these various pictures of the scope of salvation. The third one I just simply want to highlight very briefly is justification, where we see God is the divine arbiter. What is an arbiter? An arbiter is someone who makes a declaration about a legal case. And we see Jesus being a key in the process of justification where God is the divine arbiter. And we see this passage from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. Now, what's really interesting about this passage is very intriguing to me because of the way that it is structured. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, you have 15 words in the original Greek language, and they're simple words. In the NIV, in English, there are 21 words, actually 23 all total. 21 of them are single-syllable words. One of them is a two-syllable word, and one of them is a three-syllable word. I mean, just look at it. Here's the way it goes. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might, here comes the two-syllable, become the, here comes the three-syllable, righteousness of God. Now, that's an unusual structure. We don't normally talk that way. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Spurgeon called this verse the heart of the gospel. And so we want to we want to look at this in a couple of phases. First of all, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. Jesus had no 
sin. He was without evil. He never violated any of God's standards. He had no moral contamination at all. He made him who had no sin, what? To be sin for us. To be sin for us. This is exciting to me. This gets me going. Isaiah 53, 6. The Lord laid on him the guilt and sins of us all. Now, I want you to use your imagination for just a moment, okay? I want you to imagine a sewer pool full of all the evil and all the sins that were ever going to be committed in human history. You gotta use your imagination a little bit. You gotta think about the stench of all of this. So you have this sewer pool. It's full of all the evil and sins that are ever committed in human history. All of the selfishness, all of the theft, all of the lust, all of the lying, all of the arrogant pride, all of the broken promises, all of the hatred, all of the greed, all of the drunkenness, all of the verbal abuse, all of the violence, all of the embezzlement, all of the adultery, all of the pornography, all of the crime, all of the cursing, all of the racial prejudice, every evil thought, word, and deed is in that sewer pull with an incredible stench to it. And all of it was emptied onto Jesus. The holy God himself. Just, I mean, our minds can't comprehend. All of it was dumped onto Jesus. See, it should have been me and it should have been you who was nailed up onto a cross. Should have been me, it should have been you who had to wear a crown of thorns should have been me and it should have been you who was beaten where you couldn't even recognize who they were anymore. Should have been you and me who got a spear in the side. Should have been you and me who would suffer for sin. But not just for one afternoon, but for all of eternity. You see why this is the most important truth in all of the universe? the most important truth in all of the universe. I want to share with you a, a story that Ron Hutchcraft tells. It's a story of a, a new friend that he had developed, a guy by the name of Tony. And as they were getting acquainted with one another, they were telling about one another's backgrounds. And as Tony was speaking with Ron... He said, you know what, uh, Ron, I grew up in a really, really tough neighborhood. He said, we had a lot of gangs, and I belonged to a gang. And Tony went on to describe this scenario. He said to Ron, one night, a gang from across town came to our turf looking for a rumble, and we gave it to them. 
He said, I didn't see it, but a guy from another gang came at me from behind with a knife. He was just about to stab me in the back. My best friend since grade school saw it. And then Ron said, Tony stopped, trying to keep his composure. Then he said very softly with tears in his eyes, my friend took my knife. My life has never been the same. When Jesus died on the cross, he took my knife from God. And when we embrace that by faith, we can also say, my life has never been the same. You know, 2 Corinthians 5.21 doesn't end there. It said, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. He took that knife But it goes on to say, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is what justification is really all about. This has been called the great exchange. Our sin went to Jesus. Now it gets to be mind-blowing. His righteousness came back to us. Sometimes when you hear people uh, wanting to have a way to memorize what does justification mean, what does it mean to be justified, I've heard people sometimes say, well, being justified means as if I never sinned. Oh, no, 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 no. When it's just as if I never sinned, I'm sort of back to neutral. This is way, 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 way more than that. It means that we are declared to be righteous, not just back to neutral. We are credited with the very righteousness of God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We are credited with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That, men and women, is unbelievably amazing to me. What's even more amazing is what it says in Romans 3, verse 24. We are justified, declared righteous by God, the divine arbiter, as a gift by his grace. And then in Romans 5, 1, having been justified, declared righteous by God himself, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the most amazing truth in all of the universe. And this is why when it comes to the religious realm, Jesus is the only solution. I don't care what religious leader you want to pick. Nobody else was the God-man. That's why the Bible emphasizes this. That's why it says, Jesus is the only solution. Acts 4.12, there is salvation in no one else. There is no other name in all of heaven for people to call on to save them. He is the only solution. 
First Timothy chapter two, verses five and six. There is one God and one mediator between God and men. Who is it? The man Christ Jesus. Why is he the only one who gave himself as a ransom for many? Jesus is the only solution. Jesus said that himself in John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Oh, here it comes. No one comes to God the Father except through me. Why? Because he is the one who did what needed to be done. He is the one who did the work. If you've been around Wildwood, you know I like to talk about in the religious world, do versus done. And what I mean by that is when you look at all the various religions and then you look at biblical Christianity, biblical Christianity is the only one that is unique. Because all the various religions spell salvation the way that you get in good graces with God. They spell it do, do, D-O. Now, they might define it differently, but there's a list of things you must do. You must do this. You must perform this duty. You must show this amount of faithfulness, so forth and so forth and so forth. You must attend these kinds of services. You must believe these kinds of things. You need to do, 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 do. You've got to do in order to get in good with God. Biblical Christianity is totally unique. It's the only one that comes along and says, there's nothing that you need to do. It has been done. It has been done for you by the person of Jesus Christ. And so the key question is this. Is Jesus' death automatically credited to us? Does it get automatically credited to us? And the answer to that is no. Everyone must make a life choice to embrace what Christ has done by faith. We are going to unpack that more next time. It's very important. But you see, we're looking at God's work on the cross, and the picture is we're all trapped under the rubble of sin and judgment. We need a rescuer And Jesus came to extricate us from our situation. One of the sweetest verses in the Bible is in 1 John 4, 19. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world. For what purpose? So that we might live through him. God's work at the cross. Centuries ago, Anselm said this, the debt was so great that while man alone owned the debt, only God could pay it. And I think of the song we've been talking about singing at the end of each of these messages all four weeks. How marvelous How wonderful, and my song shall ever be. How marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. Let's bow in prayer together. Father, we thank you so much just for this incredible truth of the gospel message and how amazing it is, almost unbelievable 
And as we zoom in on this most important truth in the universe, frankly, it leaves me somewhat speechless. I don't really know what to say. My mind goes to the words of an old hymn that says, how could Jesus love me so? I was lost in sin and woe. It is wonderful to know that my Savior loved me so. And so it is. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. 